It is so great to be part of the global body of Christ. And it just turns out that as we're in Ephesians chapter 2, we're looking about what it means to have the the horizontal implications of the gospel. How does it change our relationships? And I just love that there are so many people in my life that I would never get to know if it weren't for what Christ did to reconcile me to God. But I'm so grateful that that means that I've got a big family uh, that... I can start enjoying now and will enjoy for all eternity. And that's what this text is about. And I invite you to turn your attention to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And uh, I just want to encourage you, if you you missed last week, that is a sermon not to be missed. Christian just preached an amazing sermon on these first 10 verses on how heaven comes to earth uh, first meeting us when we were the walking dead, walking in the deadness. We weren't just a little sick. Uh, we weren't just a little bit in need. We needed salvation. You know, uh, salvation doesn't mean that our house was pretty good and God gave us a stereo system and a really nice flat screen and a better kitchen. Uh, our rescue means that our house was in flames <laughs> and Jesus had to enter that house. But we, were, we were not just uh, sick. We were dead in transgressions of sin. He had to carry us out. He had to breathe new life in us so that then... Um, And Christian sermon brings us out at the end that then we are not the walking dead, but we are walking in the good works which God prepared beforehand. And verse, the next verse, verse 11 through 22, spells out what some of those good works are. And those good works mean that if we say that we have God as our father, then we also enter into the riches of having brothers and sisters to walk life with. Um, as we prepare to read this text, uh, I just I saw this week a poll that asked uh, Americans, this is a very American idea, they said, well, if, you, if you're religious, if you go to a synagogue or a mosque or a, or a church, uh, can you maintain a personal faith in God apart from going, apart from participating? And you know what? 81% of Americans said, yeah, you can just have this great vertical relationship with God and you can ignore everybody else. <laughs> Well, I'm really glad that it isn't up for a, for a vote uh, because 81% would wipe out the 19. But God in this text says, no, you can't really have a relationship with God that's real unless, it's, unless you also allow that relationship to connect you to the body of Christ. And if you don't take my word for it, we're gonna, look at the, we're gonna let this text work us over uh, and maybe strip us out of some of that rugged individualism that... Uh, probably, if you know, just part of being an American, uh, and some of it's good, <laughs> but a lot of it's bad. It takes us away from realizing how much joy there is to be found in relationships with each other. And so this is verses 11 through 22. And like every week when I read the scriptures, this is the only part of what I'm going to say up here that's inerrant. Um, this is the only perfect thing I'm going to say is when I read the scriptures. So give attention to this, the word of God. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world." But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one 
and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this word about how we can be a part of a group that brings heaven, that brings what you are about into this broken earth. We pray now you would take this word, Lord, and you would encourage us to take hold of all that our title in Jesus Christ brings to us. Um, we pray that your spirit would encourage those who are discouraged, that you would lift up the light of your countenance and that you would make clear, Lord, that you are and that you are a God who is eager to disclose yourself to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this passage is about how the cross of Christ, which is the only way for us to be reconciled to God, is also spills over um, horizontally this way. And I don't think there's ever been a time where I've preached the um, horizontal, relational, healing power of the cross in relationships where it's been more needed. Um, I'm just talking about the world we live in. Um, I'm just talking about this evening at 8.10 when the Cowboys and the Eagles are playing. And like, right, if you're in that world, right, if you're an Eagles fan, one of the great bonuses is you always root for two teams. You know what I mean? You root for whoever, the Eagles, and you root for whoever's playing the Cowboys, right? Uh, and there's, there's some, you know, there's some real division. You could say that's, that's part of the division in the world. I mean, we are, we're, I mean, not only that, I mean, I, no one is from Atlanta today, right? You wouldn't dare come here if you're from Atlanta. Uh, no, we love the Atlanta Braves. When we humiliate them, it's awesome. That tomahawk chop, the most obnoxious fan thing ever, right? But, you know, that, that animosity spilled out. Of course, not from a beloved, you know, citizen of brotherly love, but one of those, do you guys see it? The Atlanta fan at the end after we, you know, trounced them through, you know, 16 ounces of liquid, a few rows up on a Phillies fan, and of course a Phillies fan, because we just, we're, we're all godly in this city of brotherly love, <laughs> turned the other cheek, you know. But there's real division, but it was like, I, I, was, I was proud there was not something that break through, right? But sports aside, right, there are so many reasons to be polarized today. 
And the good news of the gospel is basically that not only does it bring healing and unity between us, and I mean, the, the cross of Christ is so powerful that it can, it can reconcile us in our sinful state to, a, to an incredible God who is holy, 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 perfection, perfection, perfection. But that power of the cross to reconcile us to God is evidenced on the earth by the way that it overcomes human divisions. And so there are three points in this passage. It flows out very carefully and logically. And remember, Ephesians, this little book, is a summary of what it took Paul to, take, to teach over two years every day in Tyrannus Hall. So it's a really condensed, I mean, this is, you know, this is like, like don't drink this straight up. It, this is like condensed juice. Add some water and take some time with it, right? <laughs> But we're, three things we're gonna look at. He says, if we're gonna be a force of healing and unity, we've gotta, first of all, remember what we were before we came to Christ. And that's in verses 19 through 22. Then we've gotta remember what Christ did. And then thirdly, we've gotta remember who we are now and live that out. So first of all, uh, remember what we were. And um, he could not say it more bluntly. He says, we were Christless, stateless, homeless, hopeless, and godless. <laughs> you put verse uh, um, 11 up there, this is how he, he builds it. It says, therefore we remember you formerly, you were Gentiles, and there's only two divisions. Is anybody here a Jewish background? So we've got one. Okay, you were an insider, <laughs> but the rest of us, well, we were included you know, as those that were Abraham, who God said, you're gonna bless all the goyim, you're gonna bless all the nations. And he says, you were the, the uncircumcised, which is another way of just saying you were the unclean. Um, and then he says in verse 12, you were separate from Christ. And the word Christ is not, Jesus Christ is, Jesus, Christ is not his last name, but it means the anointed Messiah. And it means you didn't have, we didn't have one in whom we were anticipating to put our hope in. We were Christless. Um, it, then he says, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel. We were stateless. We were, we were foreigners to the covenants, which in a sense is saying we're, we're homeless. Uh, we don't have any promise that we can take to the bank and look forward to. We're hopeless, because there is, hope is something that we know for certain that God has said is gonna happen, that we can plan, you know? Like, like we've got a great weekend plan and Friday at five o'clock is coming. Oh, we're in a good mood, four o'clock. Just don't buy a car that was made at four o'clock on Friday, but we're happy, right? <laughs> and, and so he says, and, but he says this, and this would apply, this is Paul being really, really bold. And uh, if you're here and you're of another faith or you have a conversation with someone of another faith, you may have to explain this to them, but Paul says, if you were of another faith other than the faith in the God of the Old Testament, he says, you were godless. Now, that at first sounds disrespectful, and I know when I went to university many years ago, whenever they would broach religion, they would say this. You probably heard it too. They'd say, all roads lead to God. You heard that? Like, all religions lead to God? But that just shows somebody who's not really listened to religion because a lot of religions don't even have God in them. <laughs> so when you say, your religion leads to God, they say, thank you very much. The Buddhists would say, thank you very much, but my religion actually doesn't have a concept of God. <laughs> And so he's saying, before you came to know Christ, you, you were not even on a, on a path, a religious path. We're not gonna just try to import 
um, the content of the Old Testament into what you were saying. If you're, you know, Confucianism, that's no real concept of God. All kinds of, um, you know, New Age religions. Um, there isn't a God we're in destiny to meet. We just kind of, you know, achieve nirvana and dissolve ourselves into um, a unified consciousness, you know? So if you say all religions lead to God, you're really disrespecting those religions. <laughs> you get that? So he's wanting us to own and just say, before we came to God, we didn't have a rooted identity. Hopeless, Christless, godless, stateless. Uh, and, and what he's saying is we didn't, there was no favored culture that we were part of. And what Christ did in a sense is while he came born of a Jew, born under law in, in that culture that was to carry the good news for the whole world, when he was resurrected and ascended, he made it very clear there's no longer any home turf. Uh, this was clear all the way like when Pentecost came, when they're in the upper room, Christ again says, wait 10 days, pray, and the spirit comes and falls on Peter. There was no favored language. I mean, when Peter preached the Pentecost sermon, uh, they heard the language of God spoken in all kinds of different languages. In other words, if Peter's first language was to speak in Hebrew, you would have said, well, Hebrew is the mother tongue of God. But they heard um, all these international languages um, because God isn't subject to a human culture. There is no home turf for God because the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. This is unique for Christianity. You know, the, uh, a Muslim will tell you that to understand the Quran, you've got to read it uh, in Arabic, right? But, but Christianity is saying there is no favored language. There is no favored culture. Um, Colossians 3.11 puts it this way. There is neither Greek nor Jew. Um, tell that to Christian Hesley, and he's from a Greek background. He doesn't have favored status because he's Greek. There is no Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision. I mean, it's pretty amazing that he says there's no Greek, but when he says there's no Jew, there's no Jew. Because he's, he's saying there is absolutely no grounds of merit that makes you or I on the inside with God. And he's saying it's really important that we remember that so that we can be a force uh, of, because when, when we are brought down to that lowest place and we're flattened to the floor, then we don't have any ability to look down with snobbery on any other culture, any other background, any other religious background, training, pedigree, whatever. We, we have all been flattened. So he says, remember, remember how Christless, hopeless, godless, <laughs> and stateless you were. You got, you got nothing to play with. And, and this, this is so powerful because then we can move in solidarity with everybody in being what this text says we're called to be is this new humanity where all those other worldly, earthly, ethnic distinctions no longer have any power to separate us. That is so amazing. Uh, I uh, remember a meeting with 50,000 men at the meeting and a African-American pastor, uh, Joseph Garlington from Pittsburgh, got up. And this was in the 90s. I know, I'm really old. Um, this is in the 90s, and um, Minister Farrakhan of the Nation of Islam was having a million-man rally in Washington, D.C. Any of you remember that? 
And uh, one of the things Minister Farrakhan said of the Nation of Islam is he said, white people are not welcome. White men are not welcome. And so Joseph Darlington got up at this assembly, 50,000 men, most all of them were white. There was a smattering of minorities there. African-American pastor. And he said, said, Minister Farrakhan is having an assembly and he's invited a million people there, a million black men there. And he said, but I can't go because I can't go to a gathering where you, mostly white men, are not welcome. When he said that, that stadium, 50,000 mostly white men, erupted with a stain and ovation. I mean, I get chills just kind of repeating his words, right? Kind of powerful. Then the applause all quieted down, and Joseph Garlington said this, he says, and we'll really have something powerful when all you white men will refuse to entertain going anywhere where I'm not welcome either. Powerful. Powerful. He, he was calling us basically to be what, what some have called, like Jamar Tisby have said, if we're going to heal racism, then we've got to not just not be racist, but we've got to be anti-racist. And he was schooling us, saying, if the racism is coming from somewhere else, I, as a black man, will stand against it also. Powerful. This text is basically freeing us to live that way. It's saying that my allegiance is so full of Jesus that I will, I will not play according to these human-made categories. You know, the, the reality is, and the scientists make this very clear, but we've known it for far longer, is there really is no such thing as race. There's ethnicity. There's culture. And those are to be celebrated. You know, if we want to begin with the end in mind, you get to Revelation 5, and you see a people who are blood-bought from every tribe, tongue, and nation across the earth, and their, their ethnicities are not wiped out. God's vision is not colorblind, it's color-bold, saying, isn't this awesome that all of these cultures are here, right? Amazing. But that, that comes to us, again, by seeing that, that there is no racial category. It was created to actually oppress uh, or wound or uh, create a false kind of one-upmanship. And so what the gospel does is it makes it very clear that Christ levels that because he is building uh, a movement that's gonna be endorsed from every single ethnicity. Do you know how powerful it is to say that the gospel has been preached not yet to every tribe, tongue, and nation, but that wherever the gospel is preached, whether it's, you know, at Harvard University, declared credibly, and someone hears it that's never heard it, explores the claims of Jesus Christ, probably at a pretty deep thought level, and comes to surrender their life to them, what do they experience? They experience a flood of forgiveness. They experience a new nature coming into them. Now, they experience a passion where Jesus becomes their preeminent passion. They experience, and I've seen this over and over again, where someone says, I don't even know what's gotten into me. Now, I can't wait to get to worship. I, now, I don't know what's gotten into me. I used to rush to read the sports pages or the finance, but now I just, the scriptures are like, they're not just information, they're not just data, they're like food, like I crave it, like I crave my morning cup of coffee. And I know like that, that's, that's a renewed heart, and so it happens at Harvard, but it also happens at Papua New Guinea, in 
We have a couple of people here who have been to New Guinea. You know, and, and where a tribe far off, about as different as you could be, has the same experience. And that, that more tribal person in New Guinea hears the gospel, checks out the claims of Christ, is convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, and they feel, feel a flood of forgiveness, a, a new heart well up in them, a new priority for Jesus Christ. Spiritual reality comes into them. All of a sudden, their priority of their life is shifted and changed. Do you realize how glorifying it is to God that wherever the gospel is preached, whatever intellectual capacity, whatever economic background, whatever um, cultural shaping is done and the gospel pierces that, it has the same effect? That is one of the reasons I believe the gospel. And, 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 and I've, just, I've even seen it just in the pastorate over years, like it, it, when it hits a teen, when it hits somebody, I, I remember somebody who received the gospel at the age of 84, had really hardened her heart uh, against the gospel for all those years, and I visited her in, before a surgery, and it looked very bleak for her. She prayed weekly to receive Christ. The Lord healed her. And for the remainder of her life, the years after, her passion was to, with her daughter, read scripture and pray together. That's the power of God. And he's saying, remember that what you have didn't come to you by nature. So that's the first point. Secondly, then he says, remember what Christ did. That um, this unity comes to us um, through what Christ has purchased. In other words, we don't make up this unity. We actually live out this unity. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory for this unity that God has. And, and so if you look, put up verse 14, I love how he says this. Um, as we look at this text, it says, for he, he himself uh, is our peace, who has made the two groups one. Again, he's, he's only looking at two groups, the insider track Jews, the outsider Gentiles. And, and it says he's, he himself is our peace. Do you know this? There is no such thing as spiritual peace apart from Jesus Christ. It comes in a person. There is no such thing as grace apart from Jesus Christ. It, but you place your faith in Jesus, you experience peace, you experience grace. And it says that he himself made the two groups one, Jew and Gentile, and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, literally here, he's really talking about temple architecture. To go into the temple, there was an acknowledgement that Gentiles could see and worship in outer courts, but there was a sign. And uh, in the 1870s, they did some excavation and they actually discovered some of these signs. And they actually look very similar to some signs that I've seen around Chester County. If you wanna put that stone up there, we have an image of this. And now, um, man, if Christian were here, I'd ask him to translate it because I think it's written in Greek. Um, but, um, what made, it, what made me think that it was uh, originally a Chester County sign, because I've seen some signs around that here when we've, we've driven around the beautiful countryside of Chester County. Um, and uh, put that, that translation sign up there, that image. Yeah, this is what it says. <laughs> it, it says, warning trespassers, uh, they won't be prosecuted, they will be executed. <laughs> but, but that is literally what the translation says. It says, Basically, we warned you Gentiles, if you step across this barrier, you will be executed for blasphemy. Uh, and that was the way the hostility was, and so it's saying that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, um, he took all 
of the penalty of, of sin and all of the other cultural regulations. In other words, you don't have to pass through, just like you don't have to listen to Hebrew in order to understand what God is doing. You don't have to pass through Jerusalem in order to become a Christian. You don't have to go through temple ritual because Jesus himself said, destroy this temple, I'll raise it up on the third day. He's saying, I am, I am the temple. So the barriers have been torn down. And so if we allow for there to be a barrier between another human being based on something that the cross has torn down, we are minimizing the cross. And you don't wanna minimize the cross. If we allow something in someone's life, ethnicity, identity, to mean that we cannot have a relationship with them, then we are, we are belittling the cross. Um, we're, we're also, in reality, belittling creation because we all have the image of God poured into us. Every single human on this planet, no matter their background, no matter their moral behavior, everybody has the image of God. But, but then secondly, when Christ died on the cross, he died for all peoples, all different statuses. And, and so it says he dismantled that so that, that he opened the way. The barriers have been torn down. And so we do not grasp the significance of the cross if we think we can enjoy it in repairing our relationship with God and not enjoy it in repairing our relationships all around us. And this text is especially about ethnicity because Paul is wanting to make clear that there are not a whole bunch of different interest groups and there's not an inside outside, but he's wanting to see that one of the glories of the church is it's this global family that is a, is a mosaic. Not a melting pot where people lose their ethnicity, but it is this mosaic where all the ethnicity brings distinctive glory and honor to God. That's what we see in Revelation when not every tribe tongue you know, is giving glory to God purchased with his, with his blood. And it comes through the cross. What I want you to see here more than anything is to see that to not pursue reconciliation with others. Ethnically, and you know, I'm gonna apply this in every way. Ethnic's the big category, but in every single way, to not pursue unity and reconciliation uh, across the barrier, it, it, it belittles the cross. Because you can't, the cross, while it makes no demands upon me to be, re, to be reconciled to God, if I am reconciled to God, the cross says, you must pursue reconciliation with everyone else. There is a ministry of reconciliation. And in fact, Paul called his ministry, the ministry, the preaching of the cross, a ministry of reconciliation. And one of Paul's plot lines, if you follow the New Testament, is that he was raising money. You know what Paul's major passion to raise money for was? Um, the Jews in Jerusalem had a famine, they had persecution, they didn't have food, and he was wanting the Gentiles to raise love gifts so that he could take those love gifts as a demonstration of the incredible love and unity of the body of Christ. And that this was a way of glorifying the cross. Do you know that uh, up to that point, historians believe there, were, there was never a fund drive from one ethnic group to bless a separate ethnic group. There's no record of that happening until Christianity landed, and actually it landed, they called them disciples, they called them um, you know, followers of the way, but in Acts chapter 11, when they took up this offering to send it to a different nation, they, they didn't know what to call them, so they called them Christians. They, they said, these people look like this guy, Jesus Christ, 
who seem to have no regard for ethnicity or background because you know Jesus was always making the Samaritan the hero of the story like you know the the 10 lepers who came back to say thank you it was the Samaritan right Um, Jesus was always he was always you know the good Samaritan right who was the the person by the road who needed aid it was the good Samaritan who helped out he was always highlighting the fact who did he heal he healed this Syrophoenician woman the the Canaanite woman he's he's always introducing race because he's wanting to show what a big heart God has and how powerful the gospel is and you don't understand, we, we cannot proclaim a cross that reconciles us to God. It doesn't also say we gotta care about reconciliation in all forms of relationships. Um, now, this applies to race, but it also applies to categories that aren't as much race. It, yeah, I mean, it would apply to that cowboy fan, that dim-witted cowboy fan in your life. Um, it would apply to um, that there cannot be a lasting barrier but it would apply to every category we can have a difference about. And he's wanting again to remind us that we were lifted from the lowest place through the cross. Do you know uh, in The Passion of the Christ, and I know it's been many years since that came out, made the huge splash, right? But there's one place that Mel Gibson makes an appearance in his own movie. Do you know where that is? Some, Some of you know where it is. Uh, It's when Christ is stretched out on the cross and Gibson wanted his own hands to be the hand that held the hammer that drove the nail. Uh, Because he said, here's here's what Gibson said. He said, um, he says, I wanted to take the role that I have responsibility in. It was my sin that nailed him there. Now, when that gets into our hearts, we're safe to start working to build reconciliation between people. When we're humbled by that, when that awes us, when you say, that was my sins that did that, that, that is, that's our marching orders. Uh, this is one of the reasons that Martin Luther King Jr.'s movement uh, often met and began, and we have, we have friends who actually, parents were deeply enmeshed with King's movement, ate dinner together, um, mixed with the children, the King children, uh, I hope they'll come and speak to us sometime. Maybe, maybe we'll have them on MLK Sunday. Um, but they would have prayer meetings before they would stand and, and peacefully protest uh, for racial justice. And, and the theme of that was the love of God for all people. And one of the great quotes of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is this. He says, the cross, the cross is an eternal expression of the length to which God will go in order to restore broken community. Do you see the cross that way? The cross is, is an eternal expression of the length to which God will go in order to restore broken community, not simply in the church, but in God's world. It is love in action. And so those, those two things go hand in hand. And so he says, remember what Christ did. It will mobilize you. And it will mobilize you to be uneasy with being divided from, from anybody on any other human category. Um, Now again, it's not just racial reconciliation. We have to learn through all kinds of mutually divisive and exclusivistic opinions that we have. Um, The world is watching to see if we can do what Jesus did. Jesus had such diversity among his disciples. He had Simon uh, the Zealot, who was basically saying, kill the foreign government and throw them off, and Matthew the tax collector, who was basically saying, get along and fund 
the government that is oppressing us, and they were in the same group of 12. They were in the same small group. We don't witness them debating their politics because that was small potatoes to the kingdom of God that they were being recruited to live for. And, and, and so this is that kind of dying to self and overlooking things that we might not want to overlook, but God says there's something bigger, there's something that dwarfs that. And we should, we should be intentional with that. We should be intentional with that for a couple reasons. And this is where he moves into saying, remember who you are now. You put up verse 19, and he, he says, remember who you are now. He says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Here's something I know. When I've sung a few worship songs on Sunday, I pretty much am saying, hey, yes, I feel close to God. Monday comes, and I kind of start walking like I'm a foreigner or a stranger in the things of God if I don't get some reminder going back into my soul. And he's reminding you. He's reminding me. He says, we're not foreigners and strangers. We're fellow citizens. We're members of his household. We're God's family together. He said, remember your, remember your privilege because we forget it. This is why, sadly, sometimes those lines that Jesus abolished get redrawn because we forget who we are. And we allow human temporal differences and boundary lines to separate what God has put an end to. I, I love that um, NLPC has a history, of course, we go all the way back to 1726, but I love part of the, the amazing history of this place is that NLPC participated in the Underground Railroad. Did you guys know that? It is really cool. It's a really bold thing, right? Because there were, there were horrific laws against um, serving enslaved people. <laughs> And NLPC answered to a higher power, a higher calling, and basically said, when our government says something that is unrighteous, that you can actually own people, we are gonna take the side of the word of God, and we are gonna put ourselves at risk for that. I love that. What I say is like, Lord, do it again. <laughs> In whatever expression that means, help us so live in harmony with what the Spirit of God is doing that we disarm all of the tribalism that is going on in our world and we are a force for breathtaking beauty and unity. That we are part of that in incredible work of reconciliation. And you know, we've gotta remind ourselves or else we'll redraw or allow those boundaries to be redrawn. And so he says, remember, you're, you're this new family. And then he says, and look at these closing verses, 21 and 22. He says, you are a new temple. He says, in Christ, the whole building, and he's not talking about a physical building, but he's saying um, that if you are joined to Jesus Christ, and he is the cornerstone in which the builders rejected, but the cornerstone is that which the whole building rests upon. And it's saying, if you're joined to Jesus, the living stone, you become a holy temple. And what is the holy temple? It's not a building. God's not rebuilding the temple uh, in Jerusalem. What he is building is a spiritual movement of relationships. And it says, and it says in, in Christ, you two are being built together with others to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This, this is really the answer to that poll about saying, can you be a good Christian and not be part of the church? 
The answer to that is really, can you be a worthwhile brick and not join other bricks in actually building somebody? Can you be a brick that serves a glorious destiny just being strewn about in a yard and, and with nothing touching it? Or is the purpose of a brick, the purpose of a great temple stone, to be laid upon another so that it builds something glorious? And it says that the life of God comes into us in a, in a powerfully elevated way when we say yes to be the people of God. So he says, yeah, we're the household of God. That's who we are. We're family. I love the families in our name. We're the family of God, but we are also the, in, the place where the spirit of God indwells us and joins us together that we rise up to be far greater than anything that we could be. In, in a sense, it's, it's saying that we're the new temple, not a building, but a living community of people. It's saying that we receive citizenship. You know, so are you a citizenship of the new heaven? Are you a member of the family? You can't say, well, kind of, or you can't say, I hope so, or you can't say, I'm trying. You either are or you aren't. Or, you know, this is the beauty of Christianity. You don't, you don't say, well, it's a project, it's a, it's a process. To become a Christian is not a process. It's, it receives what Jesus did, and you've either received it or not. I've known people who've gone through the citizenship process. They, yeah, they prepare, they, they take tests, there's, there's a uh, panel of discernment, are they ready to take this step? But then, at that moment that they are declared a citizen, they are a full citizen. They're as much a citizen as anybody else. Are you a Christian? Have you received Christ? If you have, you have passed from death to life, all on the merits of Jesus. But then I ask you a second question. I say, are you living in the absolute certainty and joy and assurance of that freedom? What Peter said, his vision for his, his youth are not only that they be safe, but he wants them to know they're safe. God's heart is restless. He wants us to know that this is our identity. He wants that identity to be the one that gives us the greatest joy. And I love then how there's, there's a bit of a switch now because it says we become the temple and God is, is almost like the refugee who's seeking a house to live in. <laughs> he, he's, and he wants to indwell us. And he wants to express himself through our hearts and lives as we declare our loyalty to Jesus that we rise up to be something breathtaking and beautiful. And so do you know that? Do you experience it? And then are you working to take down the walls that make some people say, well, it's not for me. That, that's, how you, that's how you know that this has really taken over in your life, or maybe even people who, there's been a falling out. You've gotten on the wrong side. It's more serious than we joke about eagles and cowboys. There's been a disagreement of some kind. It, it can be even in the spiritual realm. It can be an item of biblical truth. It can be how you interpret something that has been said yes to or no to in the church. It's how it, you interpret something that has been in the history and all of a sudden that gets erected and there is a barrier and you know it's a barrier because when you go to a meeting or maybe just when you go to the giant, you hope you don't run into them. That is the spirit of God. When there are people that you know you hope you don't run into, that is the spirit of God saying, put them on your prayer list. Put them on your agenda and make sure that there, there is nothing that you allow to rise up and separate you, that Christ died to obliterate so that we can have rich and full relationship and fellowship. Folks, this is hard when it happens. But this is where there's a test is to say what identity will be ultimate? What accomplishment will be ultimate? 
in our life. And so remember what you were, stateless, Christless, hopeless, godless. Remember what Christ did, the incredible accomplishment where he put all of this aside and then remember who you are. You're citizens. And if you're a citizen, you know what you get to be? You get to be an ambassador and a minister of the reconciliation to tear down all the things that make people think they're excluded. There is no one breathing on this planet now who may not yet become a citizen, a fellow family member, uh, a person who is part of this movement that will last forever. Um, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this vision. We thank you that we get to be part of it, and we do pray that you would heal all manner of divisions, personal, internal to church life, internal to culture, rustling about because of ethnic histories that have been so broken. Lord, we would pray that you would soften and tenderize our hearts as we remember what you have done to establish us as one family. Lord, as we move into this song of worship, may we understand the cost of grace and may it truly be so marvelous that we magnify it in walking across an aisle, walking across a backyard, taking the steps we need to make to be those that move toward harmony that will bring you glory and praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We invite you guys to stand with us as we sing this last song.
how great that grace is. What a privilege to walk that out in our lives today. Uh, and we have prayers. I'm going to invite them if they would come forward at the front. I just want to invite you, if God has moved on your heart, maybe some interruption, some division that he's brought you aware of, and you want to be prayed for in healing that, uh, we invite you to come and not, not to leave here without having that area prayed for. It may just be that you've had a burden on your heart and you need strengthening and encouragement. I encourage you to come for that. And it may be that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never really said yes and received his grace. Oh, it would be our joy if you would come and pray and receive him this morning. Now, lift up your heart and receive this benediction. Now, may the God of grace give you joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of his Holy Spirit. To him be the glory forever. Amen.
you'll love it like radiant diamonds. Where are you now when darkness is? You're a man of your words. 